Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, ControlUp, end-to-end digital experience management for the work-from-anywhere era. ControlUp, happy users, happy IT. And also brought to you by PolicyPack Software, now part of Netrix, where you use group policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware plus more and drumroll also now brought to you by my employer numescent the inventors of the first and only cloud native container management platform for windows desktops as always if you enjoy the show each week you have these awesome sponsors to thank and now for some news this week saw the first ever vmware explore event aka the event formerly known as vmworld and so strap in it is going to be one of those long episodes where i dive into announcements from a conference but i'll also cover some of the other news highlights for this week too the vmware explore conference was held in san francisco this week and the reporting during the week was something else quite frankly Uh, there were a bunch of hot takes about the proposed takeover from broadcom which i've covered on this podcast in the past Um, But the coverage was putting a lot of doubt on the event, on the direction of VMware, and suggestions that the Broadcom acquisition was putting a cloud over the event. While interesting, I don't really see a huge need for it. VMware themselves this week said that it's business as usual, and I personally don't really care about it too much in the context of covering this event. I care more about the exciting new products and features, of which there were many. So let's dive in. First up, obviously a core product for VMware, VMware vSphere version 8 was announced. Also another core product, vSAN version 8 was announced, and also VMware Cloud Foundations Plus. But vSphere 8 brings data processing units into the fold along with CPUs and GPUs. Data processing units is something I actually covered on a previous episode of the podcast, and they were codenamed Project Monterey before this official production launch. VMware claim they are the future of modern infrastructure accessible to all enterprises. They said working with various hardware vendors, vSphere on DPUs will unlock hardware innovation, helping customers meet the throughput and latency needs of modern distributed workloads. vSphere will enable this by offloading and accelerating network and security infrastructure functions onto DPUs from CPUs. Customer applications that need high network bandwidth and fast cache access, such as in-memory databases, will benefit from these DPUs. VMware's internal benchmarking study running Redis on a DPU-enabled host achieved 36% better throughput along with a 27% reduction in transaction latency. In another scenario, a DPU-enabled host achieved performance similar to a non-DPU system with 20% fewer CPU cores. These powerful results, they claim, show that vSphere 8 will enable customers to lower total cost of computing and improve workload performance. And not just that, not just for performance, but they say by running infrastructure services on DPUs and isolating them from the workload domain, vSphere on DPUs will also boost infrastructure security. Additionally, now in beta, 
is NSX Distributed Firewall, which will offload to DPUs to scale customer security operations by securing east-west traffic at line rate without the need for software agents. vSphere 8 will also dramatically accelerate artificial intelligence and machine learning applications by doubling the virtual GPU devices per VM, delivering a four-time increase of pass-through devices and supporting vendor device groups which enable binding of high-speed networking devices and the GPU. Development teams can now achieve higher levels of scalability of available GPU resources with support for up to 8 vGPUs per VM, which is double the number compared to vSphere 7. And for DevOps teams working with vSphere 8, vSphere 8 will include VMware Tanzu Kubernetes Grid version 2, which expands Kubernetes capabilities to include multi-availability zones for improved resilience, as well as simplified cluster lifecycle and package management. There's also a new cloud consumption interface service in vSphere 8, which will provide developers and DevOps engineers a Kubernetes-based API endpoint and user interface that offers fast, easy access to infrastructure as a service services across VMware Cloud. But also mentioned that VMware vSAN version 8 was announced, which they say introduces breakthrough performance and hyper-efficiency. They said that it was built from the ground up and the new vSAN Express storage architecture will enhance the performance, storage efficiency, data protection, and management of vSAN running on the latest generation storage devices. vSAN 8 will provide customers with a future-ready infrastructure that supports modern TLC storage devices and delivers up to four times the performance of previous versions. Additionally, customers may experience an up to 40% lower total cost of ownership through highly performant and efficient data protection and enhanced data compression with up to four times greater efficiency. Customers should also see increased availability due to a new storage pool construct that provides smaller fault domains, faster resync times, and native snapshots delivering up to 100 times faster operations. Also mentioned at the top of the show is the VMware Cloud Foundation Plus announcement, which introduces a new cloud-connected architecture for managing and operating full-stack HCI in data centers. It's built on vSphere Plus and vSAN Plus and will enable customers to gain greater operational efficiencies through easy management of VM and container-based enterprise workloads across hybrid and multi-cloud deployments. Which brings us to a point, but if you listen to last year's VMworld announcements episode of this podcast where I covered all the highlights, I covered a lot of enhancements to vSphere that were to help manage both on-premises infrastructure and workloads in the cloud. So this kind of hybrid solution and modernization of vSphere. Well, again, this year, an overarching theme was multi-cloud and any cloud with enhancements for VMware workloads on AWS, Azure, GCP, and Oracle Cloud. And obviously some of the announcements just throughout, you know, the vSphere announcements, the vSAN announcements, the VMware Cloud Foundation, and more that I'm about to cover kind of played in both worlds, you know, for on-premises and also for cloud customers. Virtualizationreview.com reckons that one of the biggest announcements from the keynote was the launch of VMware ARIA, 
which the VMware CEO described as a brand new multi-cloud management solution that's at the core of VMware's multi-cloud strategy. It said the ARIA Graph data store surfaces data from across a user's entire multi-cloud environment, providing insight into cloud costs, performance levels, security issues, and configuration changes. And some of the VMware announcements that are published online show some of the dashboards and reports that are available, and some of it does look pretty impressive. Interestingly, on the cloud side, they also discussed ransomware recovery as a service, which spins off from the VMware Cloud DR product, which I believe is what came out of their acquisition of Datrium a few years ago. They say this new offering increases predictability in ransomware recovery and is built on the already robust ransomware recovery capabilities in VMware Cloud DR, which uses a unique storage foundation with a two-tier architecture that is specifically designed for this use case. So if you were familiar with Datrium, that's Datrium that they're describing. Some of the key points to the new service is that it helps prevent reinfection. It helps provide fast recovery point iterations. It reduces data loss and increases traceability of operations with built-in auto reports. And again, this year, Tanzu featured prominently as did container management with Kubernetes and infrastructure management with said containers. Uh, on the Tanzu side, they announced Tanzu application platform version 1.3. And it reads like that's going to be in general availability later in 2022. And it should provide air gapped support for regulated and disconnected environments to enhance security, improves end to end security, and has additional enhancements for developer and application operator experience. There was also the Tanzu Kubernetes Grid version 2, which I mentioned a little bit earlier, which was part of the vSphere announcements. And that brings simplified cluster lifecycle management and streamlined app lifecycle management and more. And if you want more information, more detailed information on each of these announcements, I'll share links with this episode and you can uh, drill through and find this information as well for yourself. But we're not done. There's, there's still quite a bit more. Also announced was advanced workload protection for AWS, which is said to prevent attacks on your most valuable assets with unified visibility and security for cloud workloads. Uh, protect workloads running on AWS, VMware Cloud, and on-premises with a single solution and console. There's also easy onboarding and setup with the hardening, prevention, detection, and response capabilities required to keep cloud workloads secure. So while I mentioned earlier, you know, they had announcements around multiple different clouds, you know, Azure, AWS, Google Cloud Platform, and Oracle, it does still seem like they've got more of a skew or more enhancements and features towards AWS, which is maybe not surprising because I believe their initial cloud offering was on AWS a few years ago. On the Carbon Black side of things, again on security, VMware Carbon Black app control has introduced content inspection, which opens up a new world of flexibility and control to your default deny security posture. And you can leverage Yara rules in conjunction with app control's native custom rules to help approve and ban files. And I was really happy to see that some tech outlets actually covered specifically some of the end user computing announcements of which there were several. First up in VMware Workspace 1 UEM, there were several important announcements, including that Freestyle Orchestrator will be expanding to include support for mobile devices, 
Windows multi-user support is currently in tech preview of Azure Active Directory based deployments and will be extended to Active Directory based deployments. And there are updates for Workspace ONE XR Hub with desired state management for mobile, data-driven user interfaces in the UEM console and Chrome OS. They also announced VMware Workspace ONE Cloud Marketplace will feature dashboards, widgets, reports, freestyle orchestrator workflows, and other resources that could be imported to help customers adopt additional solutions. So sounds pretty good, making it a little easier to work with. They also announced for Horizon that they're going to continue to expand the scope of their DEX solution, which is the digital employee experience. And they announced that an employee experience scoring capability for Horizon will be coming soon, as well as frontline solution packs for Workspace ONE Intelligence, intelligence guided root cause analysis, and more. So the DEX experience scoring is interesting. That seems to be a common thread across DEX solutions. And I believe that is something that Citrix Analytics currently has. So it's great that that's going to be coming into Horizon for VMware customers. Also announced was VMware Next Gen Horizon Cloud, which was actually announced at VMworld last year and then subsequently went into limited availability in the spring of this year. Well, now it is generally available for Horizon Cloud environments on Microsoft Azure. They say that next-gen Horizon Cloud brings dramatic scalability, cost savings, published APIs, and simplification through its thin-edge architecture. Also announced was Horizon Managed Desktops, which are expected to be available soon and will provide a managed service offering that takes care of lifecycle services, support, and more on top of customer-provided infrastructure. This should help customers that don't have in-house experts to get the value of VDI faster. So also something that Citrix has been doing with the Citrix managed desktop. So there's going to be a Horizon equivalent. Also of interest was the announcement of publishing applications on demand using generic RDSH servers. So for those Horizon apps, they say this new capability will combine app volumes apps on demand with Horizon app publishing capabilities to simplify app publishing and save on resources. So I'm guessing it's some way to publish the applications through Horizon apps. And it doesn't matter that the application is maybe not on the RDSH server at the time. It's just going to dynamically deliver it when a user goes to launch it because it's able to just mount it real time. It's good to see some improvements for app volumes and further integration within the stack. VMware and Google announced that they have worked together to validate Chrome OS devices and specialized peripherals for key healthcare use cases. And also finally, the Intel vPro and VMware Workspace ONE integration, which became available earlier this summer and enables several unique management capabilities, including out-of-band management for devices that are powered off or have operating systems that are not functioning, is now part of an ongoing partner program that will help customers take advantage of this integration. So that's just some of the highlights. There's actually more than that. I've gone over 20 minutes, I think, just on VMware Explorer announcements. So I'm going to cut it there. But like I said, I'll share links to the various announcements that I've covered. And there's more that you can find for yourself. Like I saw a pretty cool customer use case with one of my old employers, CVS, where they were talking about how they leverage VMware. Uh, but there's much, much more. So definitely do check it out. And I saw my buddy Samuel 
tweeted this week about some of the announcements from Teams. That's Microsoft Teams for the August 2022 update, which I think I actually covered on a previous episode of the podcast, but I think it's worth repeating that they announced several new enhancements for AVD, Windows 365, Citrix, and VMware Horizon support, including on all three, you're able to give and take control of screen sharing during a meeting. You're able to have multiple windows open at once. You can use live captions in meetings. You can spotlight someone's video in a meeting so everyone can see them. You can also screen share and have your camera on at the same time. In Citrix, you have a single app screen sharing during a meeting. And in AVD and Windows 365, additionally, you can use the background blur and virtual backgrounds for your camera during meetings, which I think was already available in Citrix if I'm not mistaken. Uh, But also you have the secondary ringer support so incoming calls can ring on multiple devices, which is something that I covered that was in preview uh, a month or two ago. This week, Microsoft announced that the ability to live resize premium SSD and standard SSD disk storage in Azure is now generally available. They say with live resize, you can dynamically increase the storage capacity of your premium SSD and standard SSD disks without causing any disruption to your applications. This helps reduce costs and you can start with smaller disks and then just gradually increase their storage capacity without experiencing any downtime. And if you're a Control Up customer, I really suggest you check out the resized script-based action within Control Up. It's awesome. There was a press release published this week concerning my employer and brand new show sponsor Numescent and AWS. The announcement was that Numescent Cloud Pager is now the first to provide native support for Amazon Workspaces and Amazon Workspaces Application Manager Packages, or WAM Packages. If you're not familiar with CloudPager, CloudPager enables all Windows desktop applications and container formats to lift and shift to Amazon Workspaces, including those that are not inherently compatible with desktop as a service. This minimizes configuration requirements and DAS complexity, significantly reducing migration, operating, and software licensing costs. Munir Mizra, who's general manager of end-user computing at AWS, stated, quote, Amazon Workspaces customers have used Amazon WAM to deploy and manage commercial and line-of-business desktop applications while streamlining image management. With Numescent CloudPager's support of Amazon Workspaces, customers can now migrate their existing Amazon WAM packages without making any changes and manage them along with other package formats. The combination of Amazon Workspaces and CloudPager provides customers with more power and flexibility to deliver applications to fully managed cloud desktops, end quote. And if you're not familiar, CloudPager also handles native AppV and MSIX packages, as alluded to in the statement about container formats. It provides robust security, software asset management, and licensing enforcement for applications that it delivers and provides better compliance reporting and software license usage information. CloudPager has a minimal resource footprint and near zero application performance impact. And if you're an existing WAM customer using WAM packages, migrating your WAM packages to CloudPager is very simple with AWS support and Numescent support initiating the migration for you. About the migration, David Merrill, who is the IT technical lead at Vitech stated, quote, Deploying Numescent's CloudPager has been one of the easiest and simplest implementations we have ever done, end quote. 
This press release coincides with AWS updating the Amazon Workspaces Application Manager online documentation to show that Amazon Workspaces Application Manager, or WAM, is reaching end of life and will no longer be available starting September 1st, 2023, which is a year from now, and that's gonna be the end of life date. They say, for current subscribers, your existing subscription and packages will be unaffected until the end of life date, but new subscriptions to Amazon WAM and Marketplace applications and upgrades to the WAM standard subscription are no longer available. And in the end of life statement, they state that AWS has partnered with Numescent to migrate your WAM applications to Numescent Cloud Pager automatically. And Cloud Pager is available in the AWS Marketplace. And by using CloudPager, you'll be able to continue using your Amazon WAM applications and deliver them to Amazon Workspaces. And just my experience so far, I haven't been with Numescent all that long, but it's not just a case of getting continuity for delivering your WAM packages. CloudPager can help breathe new life into your WAM packages with several different enhancements for management of those containers as well as optimizations to actually improve performance of running those WAM packages. So if you are a WAM customer today, certainly reach out to your AWS rep to discuss migrating. ZDNet reported this week that Google on Tuesday announced it's launching a new bug bounty program that focuses specifically on open source software. Bug hunters can earn anywhere from $100 to upwards of $31,000 via the new open source software vulnerability rewards program, depending on the severity of the vulnerability that they find. And this is in line with some of the other large vendors working together and driving incentives for finding bugs on these open source products. So pretty cool. Microsoft have announced an insider preview for enabling an Azure AD-based single sign-on experience and support for passwordless authentication using Windows Hello and security devices like FIDO2 keys. With this preview, you can now enable a single sign-on experience to Azure AD joined and hybrid Azure AD joined session hosts. You can use passwordless authentication to sign into the host using Azure AD. You can use passwordless authentication inside the session and use third-party identity providers that integrate with Azure AD to sign into the host. This new functionality is currently available in Insider Builds of Windows 11 22H2 and is available in the Azure Gallery when deploying a new session host in a pool. And thanks to Daniel Vep for sharing a short video showing it at work. And if you're listening to the audio-only version of this episode, uh, you would actually see it on the YouTube edition, which you can find at fivebytespodcast.com under the YouTube column for episode 245. I'm looking forward to going through this and setting it up for my desktops too. And continuing on with some Microsoft announcements, Microsoft announced a public preview of Azure Files integration with Azure Active Directory Kerberos for hybrid identities. They say with this release, identities in Azure AD can mount and access Azure file shares without the need for line of sight to an Active Directory domain controller. It wasn't all good news for Azure products this week. Azure Sentinel, Log Analytics, Azure Container Apps, Azure VMware Solutions, and some other Azure services were down earlier this week. Microsoft posted a status that VMs that had recently upgraded to system version 237 Dash 3 Ubuntu 
5.4 were experiencing DNS errors. At the time of this recording, the services are back up and operational. On last week's episode of the podcast, I covered the fact that LastPass suffered a breach and sent an email to customers letting them know about it. Well, they have since issued reassurances that they do not store the master passwords. So that was being speculated by some online saying, well, you know, a password manager is pretty useless if they're actually storing the master password that lets a hacker just get access to all your other passwords by getting this one password. Well, they've confirmed that they do not store the master password, which is not all that surprising, really. Uh, Sophos also posted a pretty detailed document detailing what happened and reiterates the benefits of password managers. And just a couple of more stories that are security related, but the U.S. government put out an advisory to citizens warning that the country of Montenegro has been hit by ransomware. So if traveling there, be aware that many of their public services have been affected. I mean, the big story here is that Montenegro has actually been crippled by ransomware, but I thought it was like particularly interesting that the U.S. government is putting out a travel advisory because of a ransomware attack. At the time of scripting this, there was speculation that this was launched by a Cuban ransomware gang, but this was also claimed as misinformation and that it was directed by Russian hackers. But really, who knows? It's kind of geopolitics at play here as well. It said the gang demanded about $10 million and citizens have been warned public services will be affected for a long time, which includes the property register, their fiscal system, and more, with BalkanInsight.com running with the headline that the country has been sent back to analog. They also speculated in their report that the investigation is looking into the possibility of an insider being involved. Best of luck to the people of Montenegro, like living in Ireland, our health system was hit with a cyber attack last year, and it sucked. It affected so many different areas of our public health service. Uh, it had far-reaching impacts, so best of luck to everyone in Montenegro. Last security story for the week, but Apple have backported a fix to the recently disclosed zero-day vulnerabilities that were being actively exploited. The updates apply to devices that include iPhone 5s, 6, 6 Plus, iPad Air, iPad Mini 2, iPad Mini 3, and even the iPod Touch 6th generation, and all of them running iOS 12.5.6. A quick note, I'd just like to congratulate Simon Binder and all those who were involved in the AVD Tech Fest as organizers or speakers, which was held on September 1st. Reviews on social media, mainly Twitter is my source, uh, we're very positive, and it seems like the event went well. So congratulations. May there be many more great AVD Tech Fests in the future. Our community certainly needs more great independent events. And finally in the news this week, Cisco App Dynamics interviewed 1,150 IT professionals from across the globe, and they stated that the report found 88% said that the last four years have changed what it means to be a technologist and altered what is required to deliver digital experiences in a world of hybrid work, which, yeah, duh. <laughs> but according to ZDNet, the survey's authors have stated that there's an emerging leadership role, which they're now branding as agents of transformation. 
which funny one of my previous job titles was transition and transformation manager so not all that new really um, but the authors coined this term apparently in 2018 but only 9% met the standard then but they say that it only rose to 10% in the current survey tellingly 66% of respondents feel that it is more difficult to become an agent of transformation than it was four years ago and at least 87% believe that as technologists they now need to constantly reinvent themselves to stay relevant more than half 56% admit they feel disillusioned and burnt out and more than three-quarters say they still feel under pressure to deliver innovation more quickly a majority of 65% stated that they also are feeling overwhelmed by complexity and data and at a personal level Technologists are also experiencing a need to balance day-to-day -day operational responsibilities with more strategic, innovation-focused work. A majority 59% still spend most of their time on operational tasks, but there is some hope with a majority of 53% reporting that their IT department is now in the process of moving from a reactive mode into a more strategic mode. But 23% state that their IT department is still largely firefighting as a result of the pandemic. And honestly, this applies to any in-house IT job that I think I've ever had, maybe bar one. On a positive side, I guess, 90% of technologists reported a sense of pride in what they achieved over the last four years and optimism about their future as technologists, which a bit of a conundrum. They seem to be beat down and burnt out, but also proud and optimistic for the future. And it's said that 74% believe that their experiences over the last four years have actually accelerated their careers. So some good news in there amongst the grim, <laughs> I guess. And yeah, certainly, I think we all felt it over the last two years in particular. There was such a surge to innovate quickly and to just kind of slap solutions together to enable remote work. And now is kind of the time to be more strategic and to get a permanent solid solution in place that's it for the news this week now some scripts tricks and tips so i'm mindful that it's a long episode this week so i'm going to keep the scripts tricks and tips a bit short but first up andreas nick tweeted this week that with server 2022 the app v shell extensions per user work again and he said that they just tested with FSLogix on server 2019 and hid the shell extension for a globally released package for specific users, which is actually something that I used to do in the past as well. I actually used to deliver my FSLogix rules as part of my AppV packages. I have a blog about it on my website, but pretty cool. Citrix this week published a list of third-party sites that are curated by Citrix CTPs on the Citrix.com tech zone section. So for a list of great content, check out that list. The awesome Tim Mangan shared that his CUGC XL session from the New York event has been published on YouTube. And in this, he does a session on the latest practices on traditional applications in a Citrix environment. So sit under the learning tree with Tim because nobody knows more about applications. Rocky Pavlor tweeted this week a mem tip. Rocky said, do you need to reset wipe a device for autopilot in the OOBE, which if I'm not mistaken is out of box experience? Well, there's an easy answer. 
hold shift and F10 and then type system reset dash clean PC. So before I wrap up this week, I just want to say a quick thank you to Rudy Ooms, whose blog I featured last week on the episode about importing third-party ADMX templates for use in Intune. And I think I said even when I was covering that, that that's something I wanted to try. Well, I did try it this week, and I read his blog, and I somehow missed a step, and it wouldn't work for me. I couldn't understand why it wasn't working, and I reached out to Rudy, and he helped guide me to the correct option. So it was kind of a dumb moment for me. But thank you, Rudy, for being so giving of your time and for steering me in the right direction. And also a quick thank you and welcome to my employer, Numescent, as the newest sponsor of this podcast. I say it often, but I would not be able to do the podcast without sponsors. So if you appreciate the show, you do have these sponsors to thank. And this week is a perfect example. I spent over four hours researching and scripting this episode. And it's a longer episode, so it's going to take me even longer than usual to edit it and to actually record the audio. So this one could take easily a full eight hour workday to get completed. So not possible without a sponsor. My wife would simply not have it. So thank you, Numescent, and thank you to all my great sponsors over the years. And that's it for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening.